Okay, well, hello out there and welcome. This is Beck Barnes of Cotton Grower, and I'm coming at you from the waterlogged Cotton Grower Sound Studios here in Memphis, Tennessee, where we are swimming to work uh, in the mornings, and uh, we are drenched again today. So uh, whether you're joining us from California or the Carolinas, we welcome you back, and we thank you, as always, as we get settled in for this, the 66th episode. And uh, for it, I am joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Cotton Growers Senior Editor, Mr. Jim Stebman. Howdy, Jim. Hey, Beck. And I'm just noticing, looking around the studio, there are no leaks. So, uh, you know, for I guess, you know, thank, thank goodness for little things at yeah. this point. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're good on that point. Yeah. Um, uh, we might be floating away if, it, if it keep, this keeps up for too long. I know a lot of y'all around the Mid-South especially um, are uh, feeling the pain. Um, so... Um, Hopefully, there's parts of the belt that are getting some rain that need it. You know, I know out there in the, in the uh, southwest, y'all don't mind a, a good wet winter. So uh, if we could, boy, we'd let you borrow some of this um, because it's <laughs> it's pretty miserable. It's depressing. <laughs> it's getting old. Yeah, it's been for the entire month. So anyhow, we are uh, here in the office on this, the final week of February. And as I mentioned, uh, it's been cold and wet. And to be honest, I uh, can't wait to put this month in the rearview mirrors, ready for some sunshine and some warmth and some springtime. Uh, since we last checked in with y'all, we have been on the road, or at least I should say Cotton Grower has been on the road, as we have added a new member to our editorial team, and that's uh, Frank Giles. Um, he has been a longtime editor at our sister publication, Florida Growers, and uh, for many years, he was also an editor uh, at Cotton Grower previously in his career. And so, anyhow, we've done a little bit of rearranging, and Frank is back on the Cotton team. And the first thing that we had him do was go down there to New Orleans with the National Cotton Council for uh, their annual meeting. And I know that Frank uh, anecdotally hated that as he was posting pictures of the po' boys he was eating and, and the Mardi Gras parades that he was witnessing on Facebook as I was sitting up here in the aforementioned downpour in Memphis. So, you know, welcome back to the team, Frank. You're taking all the good trips away <laughs> from us. Uh, but he was down there with NCC for the, uh, for that annual meeting, and um, we turned around from that thing, Jim and I, and uh, gear up for the Memphis Gin Show, which is coming up at the end of this week. So it's, it's a busy time for us. It's a busy time for our team. Uh, we wouldn't have it any other way, and we have a lot of news items uh, to go along with all of these meetings that are happening all over the place. Uh, the first thing we want to do today, though, is to bring you a short message from our sponsors who help us keep the bills paid. Today, that is uh, the good folks at Phytogen. Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion, bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. All right. We are, as always, so appreciative of our sponsors. Uh, today, that means in addition to the great folks at Phytogen, we are also uh, appreciative of the good people at Cotton Incorporated and their U.S. Cotton Pro Trust Protocol. Uh, you'll be hearing from them later. Uh, for now, though, as we always do, we're going to go uh, to, uh, as we always follow that Phytogen ad up at this point, uh, we go to a custom content segment featuring our very own custom content editor, Robin Sickberg. And she recently spoke with our, our longtime friend, Dr. Ken Leger. He is Phytogen's cotton development specialist. So we're going to bring you that custom interview segment right now. Hello, I'm Robin Sitberg, custom content editor for Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. 
I'm here again today with Dr. Ken Leger, Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist covering parts of West Texas and Southwest Oklahoma. Welcome back to the program. Hey, glad to be here. We know the last episode we talked about some of the challenges cotton growers were facing in the Southwest in 2019 and how phytogen traits were helping them overcome some of those problems. And today I wanted to go into how specifically phytogen, which phytogen W3FE varieties uh, Southwest growers should be looking at this season. Sure, yeah, I have four of them I'd really like to highlight, and I'll start off by saying that all four have excellent early season vigor that we're well known for, and all of them have bacterial blight resistance, which can be a serious pest here in the Southwest. So I'll start with phytogen 350W3FE, a very widely adapted uh, variety that really goes across the entire region, uh, that uh, is really known for its yield and yield stability. It can go dry land, irrigated. Uh, it also has excellent verticillium wilt tolerance, which is an important pest in our, in our region. And it has root knot nematode resistance that phytogen is well known for. Now, as we move northward, north of Lubbock, into uh, some uh, fields that, are, that have moderate to good irrigation capacities, but also have verticillium wilt pressure, Phytogen 250 is a very early season variety uh, that has uh, those traits and has really done well uh, for growers who really want to push that top end yield while not having to be concerned so much with vegetative growth. Then south of Lubbock and off the cap into the rolling plains in Oklahoma, the winner there really is Phytogen 480W3FE. It has that root knot nematode resistant trait we're so proud of uh, and also has great yield potential on dry land and irrigated conditions. Uh, south of Lubbock and off the cap has won several race trials this year, so we're really proud of that variety. And I'm most excited about our new variety, Phytogen 400W3FE. It also is root knot nematode resistant, but it's yield and yield stability off the cap into the Southern Rolling Plains, the Concho Valley, and up into Oklahoma. It has really proven itself to be a really good fit for those areas. So those are the four that I'm most excited about and, and growers will have the most access to. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of choices uh, for growers in the Southwest for the 2020 season. Where can growers find out more about these varieties, Ken? Well, you can simply go to phytogen.com, our website, and uh, type in their zip code, and they can find their local territory manager and cotton development specialist. We can also find a lot of other variety information, trial data, technical bulletins, agronomic information, et cetera, there as well. Thank you so much. I, I think we're out of time, but as always, growers can go to phytogen.com for more information. And thanks again for being on the program. Thank you. So, all right, a big thank you to Robin and to Ken and to Phytogen there. Uh, and with that, we're going to get the ball rolling on this, the 66th episode of The Cotton Companion, and we got a lot to get into today. Uh, Jim is going to lead us in our news segment. Um, uh, you might notice a theme from it, and that is uh, a news segment that's populated by a lot of these items that Frank passed us from uh, New Orleans in that annual meeting. So those topics will uh, include, they are not limited to, uh, a new acreage projection number, which y'all may have already seen. If not, we will uh, bring you that news. Um, and maybe uh, that news may be moving that market ever so slightly. We don't know. That's yet to be seen. But we're going to bring you that number. Uh, we've got other headlines from that NCC meeting uh, that include uh, changing leadership of uh, the council. So you, you won't want to miss that as well. 
After that, we're going to bring you an interview that Jim conducted recently with our old buddy, Dr. John Robinson of Texas A&M University, and they are going to be talking about some of the factors impacting the cotton market. Uh, I will say, uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, our new cotton grower editor, Frank Giles, told us as we were kind of checking in with him from New Orleans that uh, there were some murmurs about uh, market facilitation uh, payment renewal. And um, that was a kind of a hot topic down there at the NCC annual meeting. And I think that people were uh, starting to look at market conditions and seeing the price stagnate in a place where it had been for a long time and um, just kind of got people anxious. And it was a it was a topic of conversation down there in New Orleans. So, uh, you know, that annual meeting happened over the February 14th weekend, which coincidentally was the weekend that that phase one trade deal was purportedly going to officially kick off. Uh, well, the day came and went, and uh, to my knowledge, there were no uh, significant orders of U.S. ag products that took place at that time. Uh, of course, that wasn't a prerequisite. That didn't mean that th these bulk orders were going to come in on that same day. Um, but you may have expected that. <laughs> That's technically when the doors were going to be open. But uh, the day came and went, and uh, no huge orders were made, and thus the market was unmoved. So naturally, people were talking about that in New Orleans. Well, um, apparently some of those rumblings uh, about MFP, and not necessarily from the NCC in New Orleans, but uh, around the farm belt, not just cotton is the only thing impacted here, but from around the comp, uh, farm belt, people noted that um, that phase one trade deal came, uh, the opening came and went without much movement. And so some of those rumblings reached all the way up to Washington, D.C. And uh, as on Friday, or rather as of Friday, which is just three days ago now as we pod, today's Monday the 24th. So this was just Friday. Uh, the president, President Trump, had a tweet regarding this, and I will... Um, relay it to you verbatim here. He said, if our formally targeted farmers, uh, excuse me, if our formally targeted farmers need additional aid until such time as the trade deals with China, Mexico, and Canada, and others fully kick in, then that aid will be provided by the federal government. Now you have to imagine that tweet was tweeted in all caps, but I wasn't going to shout it at y'all, but that's the way it was typed. So you can tell he, President meant business with that. Um, it's unclear exactly what prompted that tweet on Friday, but he put it out there as he is wont to do. Now, so contrary to that tweet, however, the day prior at the USDA Ag Outlook Forum, uh, USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue told a crowd that a third round of MF, MFP payments was unlikely and that, quote, the market will handle the pricing of commodities going forward. Uh, Purdue went on to say that he expected purchases of U.S. ag products, cotton included, to ramp up this spring after hopefully the, the coronavirus and all of its uh, concerns uh, are, are curtailed. So um, this is me editorializing a little bit here, but uh, those orders would need to begin soon and to begin in a big way if we are going to reach the purported totals of some, I believe it was $40 billion estimated in ag purchases from the U.S. by China before the end of the calendar year. But at any rate, it uh, should be noted that uh, Rep. Mike Conaway of Texas, uh, who is the ranking member of the House Ag Committee, has said that he does indeed ex expect a third round of MFP payments in 2020 per reports. So a lot of mixed messaging around um, MFP in 2020. Uh, over the course of the last week, we are going to keep our eyes on it. I would say 
if you're going to have mixed messages, if you are somebody who is needing MFP payments, um, uh, feel that you may need to stay afloat this year. We know it's a tough time. Uh, you got to feel good about uh, the one voice that really matters, <laughs> uh, Trump, in all caps, tweeting that he uh, is planning on getting that done. So there's that. We're going to keep our eye on it. So uh, now to totally switch gears, we want to hear from uh, our new sponsor, and that's uh, Cotton Inc., uh, talking about their U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol program, and we will hear from them right now. As a U.S. cotton producer, you already produce one of the most responsibly grown fibers on the planet. Show the world how you grow with the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. The U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol helps market your cotton to the growing list of brands, retailers, and consumers demanding sustainably produced fibers in today's marketplace. So start sharing your sustainability story now at TrustUSCotton.org. That's TrustUSCotton.org. The U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. Are you in? Okay, a huge shout out to our new sponsor, our friends at Cotton Incorporated. Uh, and they do so much on behalf of our industry, and we are very proud to have them as a sponsor. Uh, now, Jim, without further ado, hit us with the news of the day, please, sir. All right, Beck. Well, as, uh, as, as Beck mentioned, we got a lot of news that came out of the uh, National Cotton Council's annual meeting. Uh, a couple weeks ago down in New Orleans, and, uh, and we're going to start first with the results of the Council's annual early season planting intention survey. Uh, based on that survey, it uh, showed that U.S. cotton growers intend to plant 13 million cotton acres this spring. Uh, that's down 5.5% from 2019. They're looking at 12.8 million acres of upland cotton, which is that would be down 5.6% while the extra-long staple or prima intentions uh, of 224,000 acres represent a basically a 2.7% decline. Now, the economists at the council uh, take it, of course, one step further, assuming abandonment at 13.8% for the U.S. That gives us a, a cotton harvested area totaling 11.2 million acres, and with an average U.S. yield per harvested acre of 848 pounds, that generates a cotton crop of 19.8 million bales. 19.1 of that would be upland. 675,000 uh, bales would be from the extra long staple. Now, to keep just to keep things in context, uh, the NCC was doing their surveying uh, across the cotton belt starting in mid-December of 2019, uh, with the survey results collected through mid-January. Now, just a quick look at the regions. The, the, the basic regions of the, of the cotton belt. Southeast basically in, is looking at a 9.3% decrease uh, in, the, in the region's upland area. Mid-South growers intend to plant 2.2 million acres, and that's down 6.5% from last year. Southwest is looking at 7.6 million acres, and that's a 3.4% decline. Out in the far west, producers are expecting to plant 221,000 acres of upland cotton, that's down 20.5% from 2019. In fact, when you look at the survey as a whole, there are only acreage increases projected in only three states, and those would be Kansas, Oklahoma, and New Mexico. That's how, Those are the three states that they're... They're looking at increased acres. Increased, I see. Yeah, it's decreases for everybody else in, yeah. this, in this survey. Now, again, this survey was conducted about four to six weeks later than uh, our cotton grower survey, uh, which was released in January, and our projection at that point was around 12.1 million acres. 
this is a topic that uh, when we get to the interview with John Robinson, uh, we'll, we'll go into a little bit more detail about that because, it, again, it's, it's kind of been a, a shifting a shifting number as, as the weeks go by, and John has a formula that he kind of looks at and follows, so uh, we'll be getting his input on that here in the, uh, in the next, uh, next market segment. Yeah, he's, I'm sure he's got a more granular, knowledgeable um, idea about why these projections fluctuate in the way that they do. I would note uh, my very rudimentary uh, antidote here <laughs> is that after our survey came out, and while the council was conducting their research, while they were getting feedback from the market back, is when the uh, uh, phase one trade deal was announced. Right. And so that may have had people feeling very bullish about cotton, feeling positive about cotton, which is why that number rose slightly from our number. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, that number was interesting to me when the council announced it. Um, I, I half expected it to go the other way. I have just got done reading uh, an article about how corn is a very attractive option for a lot of guys. Of course, the corn belt and the cotton belt don't, uh, they're not the same circle uh, uh, for Venn diagram. I mean, they don't really overlap regionally in a huge way, but uh, for a lot of guys in the Mid-South and that Southwest, for a lot of guys in a lot of little pockets of the cotton belt, corn is an option. And so, um, I don't know, I expected I expect corn to take a little more of a bite out of corn uh, cotton acreage than this survey would suggest, but we'll see. It would be interesting to see when it's all said and done in June when the USDA comes out with their, isn't it June when they come out with Well, June's plant, they come out with their, uh, their planting intentions. They're basically, their acreage projections come out yeah. at the end of March. Okay. And, then, and then we get the actual acres planted report. Uh, by June, by yeah, the end of June. Yeah, that's the one I'll be I'll be interested to see. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, also from the NCC annual meeting, uh, there's some uh, we have congratulations to offer for the new officers and directors that were elected to serve the council and its various organizations uh, in 2020. Kent Fountain, who's a Jenner from Cerency, Georgia, is the NCC chairman for 2020. He has long been involved in leadership roles with the NCC and other affiliated organizations, such as National Cotton Jenners Association and Cotton Council International. Also, to, see a, a feature on him, uh, not to step on your toes, Jim, but he will be covered uh, prominently in the April issue. In our April issue. Cotton That's Grower Magazine. Definitely, definitely. And he, uh, Ted Schneider, is a cotton producer from Lake Providence, uh, Louisiana, was elected NCC vice chairman for 2020. Uh, now, looking at some of the other affiliated organizations, uh, Ricky Clark, who's the vice president and senior merchant for Cargill Cotton uh, in Cordova, Tennessee, was elected president of Cotton Council International for 2020. And he heads up a leadership team that includes uh, first vice president Ted Sheely from uh, Lemoore, California, second vice president Carlos Garcia from Lubbock, and treasurer Stephen Dyer, also from Cordova, Tennessee. Mark McKean. Uh, a producer in Riverdale, California, is a 2020 chairman of the American Cotton Producers. Uh, and that organization is sort of acts as an advocate for growers within the National Cotton Council on recommendations on matters affecting cotton production. Curtis Stewart of Spade, Texas, is the new president of the National Cotton Jenners Association for this year. And he has a leadership team that consists of George LaCour of Morganza, Louisiana, Gene Seeley of Pima, Arizona, Richard Lindsay of Center, Alabama, and Wes Morgan, New London, North Carolina. Now, 
Speck mentioned, this is really kind of a quick snapshot of the vast number of folks involved in the cotton industry who have stepped up and filled roles as directors, state unit officers, and other leaders for the, for the council and these affiliated organizations. And uh, if, you, if you're interested in all of those other folks, I urge you to, uh, to go to cottongrower.com. Uh, there are articles that, that contain listings of all of the 2020 leaders currently posted on our website. And while we're talking about, uh, about the council and, and its awards, uh, we want to offer quick congratulations to the recipients of the cotton industry's major awards that are presented at the, uh, at the council's annual meeting. Bill May, who's former president of the American Cotton Shippers Association, received the 2019 Harry S. Baker Distinguished Service Award. Ron Kraft of Plains, Texas was honored as the 2019 Horace Hayden National Cotton Jenner of the Year. Uh, Tim Lunum is a recipient of the uh, National Cotton Jenner Association's Charles Owen Distinguished Service Award and the Oscar Johnston Lifetime Achievement Award, uh, which is uh, presented to by the National Cotton Council for someone who had, uh, who's had a distinguished career or had a distinguished career in cotton, was, uh, was awarded to the late Earl Sears, who was a former NCC Executive Vice President and cotton industry leader. That award naturally uh, presented to the Sears family. So uh, lots of folks honored, lots of folks elected, lots of things happening after, uh, after the council's annual meeting. Yeah, well deserved all around mm -hmm. for those awards. Uh, we know several of those guys and wish them congrats. Absolutely. Uh, next, I want to direct your attention to an article that is currently available on cottongrower.com and will be coming soon to your mailboxes in the March issue of Cotton Grower. It focuses on proper planter maintenance and it's written by Ed Casper, who is owner of Casper Ag Solutions and is a regular contributor to two of our sister publications, uh, Crop Life and Precision Ag Professional. Uh, it's a very informative and entertaining article uh, with some simple tips to help get your planter ready before heading to the field. And uh, Ed goes into things like beginning with simple things like uh, calibrating the disc opener, uh, consistent depth settings, uh, gauge wheel calibrations, bushings, bearings, chains, basically checking everything that makes your planter do what it does. Uh, as he says, it's easy and not terribly expensive to control these things, but they certainly can have a huge impact on your emergence and your bottom line yield. And if you're like most growers, he admits, uh, the time's rapidly coming when you're gonna be chomping at the bit to get in the field, and you wanna be ready when temperature and conditions are just right. So uh, as he says, be sure to check these items in your shop now rather than wait until the planter starts running. And finally, a quick reminder for, uh, for you folks out there that uh, the extension services across the Cotton Belt are still conducting their auxin herbicide training sessions in all states for anyone. And this year, whether you're a grower or an employee, basically anyone who will be running an applicator uh, in the fields uh, that will be applying new dicamba or the uh, new 2,4-D formulations with the ExtendFlex and Enlist weed control systems, uh, those, everyone's going to have to go through the certification training. Uh, if you haven't already attended one of these sessions uh, or received your certification for 2020, uh, we urge you to check with your local county extension office or the state extension websites for more information and upcoming dates for meetings in your state. Yeah, hope, hope those are going smoothly for folks. I've seen some some grumbling on Facebook when the, the new uh, requirements got rolled out and people having trouble with the uh, with the new system. So anyhow, hope hope that goes smoothly for everybody. Okay.
Is that, is that all we got, Jim? We can move on. Okay, very good. Um, appreciate you for that as always. And now what we want to do is um, go to this interview that you conducted with a longtime friend of our magazine. That's Dr. John Robinson of Texas A&M. He's a guy who has... Uh, been a uh, trusted voice when we needed somebody for events or commentary on a story in the magazine. He always answers in the affirmative. And, uh, man, I'm happy that you, uh, when you told me that you had this interview lined up with him, I, I was uh, I was happy to hear it. Uh, we could always uh, learn a lot from Dr. John Robinson. So, uh, Jim, can you tell me briefly, is he bullish or bearish on where cotton is heading into the spring? I will tell you in, in, in talking with John, he will, he will probably admit to you that he is more cautious than, than anything at this point. And it's one of the reasons I reached out to him on this, because remember, we started, we started this year with an interview with O.A. Cleveland and Gerald Nieper sort of talking about the cotton market. And, and, you know, there was a great deal of optimism there at the early point of January, particularly with the phase one agreement coming. Now we've got the coronavirus thrown into the mix. Uh, we've got some uncertainty about when uh, when things are going to start with uh, with the China uh, purchases. And, uh, and the market has kind of fluctuated a little bit. And we got the uh, a WASDE report from USDA uh, for February that was both, it was both bullish and it was bearish, depending on, on which paragraph or which segment you were looking at. So these were the things that, that John was really trying to decipher and, and in his own special way uh, explain to us in this segment. So I hope, uh, I think you'll find it very informative. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. Okay, uh, without further ado then, here is Dr. John Robinson. Welcome to this episode's market segment. Today we're going to get an update on the status of the cotton market heading into the 2020 season from Dr. John Robinson. He's professor and extension cotton marketing specialist at Texas A&M. John, thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Uh, and what seems like years ago, I think the last time you and I had a chance to talk uh, briefly was at the Beltwide Conference uh, back in early January where you presented the global cotton outlook at that point. And as I recall, there were several unanswered questions or factors that could influence cotton one way or another heading into 2020. Since then, we've got a phase one agreement with China in place. We have a new USMCA trade agreement. We've had WASD reports that have been both bullish and bearish at the same time. And we have coronavirus. So I'll ask you, where do we stand today and what can we reasonably expect in the short term? Okay, so the I'll, I'll start with the uh, Phase 1 agreement. Um, that thing was announced in mid-December. It was signed in mid-January. Um, back when it was announced, uh, the ICE futures sort of did their last little uh, jump over 70 cents, I think on the essentially on the relief that the trade war wasn't going to get any worse, which is a part of that phase one agreement. Right. We agreed not to elevate our tariffs on them, and, and they agreed likewise. Uh, I, I think I think the bump in futures over the 70-cent hurdle was probably all I would expect, all we would get, all we will get from the phase one agreement as it stands, because to, to give us more, 
we need to see um, evidence of what they promised to do just in a vague sense. You know, they've got a list of commodities that they're pledged to spend money, right. certain level of money purchasing, but there's no guarantee that cotton will be one of them. It's on the list, but there's no guarantee they're going to buy certain amounts of cotton within a certain time period, over two years. So we might not see any large purchases, and, and that's what we need to until such time as we do. We've had one export sales report that was a good number overall that China bought, oh, I forget, 100,000 bales or something, and that was right after the signing. Right, just a couple late, weeks in, ago. Mm-hmm. A couple weeks ago in late January, but that's been the only evidence of it, and, it's, and the subsequent export sales reports didn't had China cutting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I tell my audience is, I don't think we're going to get anything else from the phase one agreement until we see sustained new large sales of U.S. cotton to China. And that just remains to be seen. And if, and I think that's why ICE futures have backed off and gone back into the upper 60s, because partly because they're saying, well, you know, there's no detail here. There's really no guarantee here. And until we see evidence that there's just a lot of new strong demand from China for U.S. cotton, we may have gotten what we've gotten. Mm-hmm. The second thing I'll say is the coronavirus, to, to my simple way of thinking, and I'm a simple-minded person, the coronavirus represents the uncertainty of demand that we had with the China tariff thing is now embodied by the coronavirus <laughs> problem. It's, you know, we don't, you know, from, from day to day, week to week, the stock market will be up or down, uh, uh, depending on the kind of the feeling of whether this uncertainty is getting bigger, whether it's spreading or not, you know, and it's, it's not the, it's not the, people infected, although that's a serious issue for them. It's, it's, the, it's just the uncertainty of how big this thing is. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the flu epidemics, flu is a lot worse numerically, but it's the uncertainty of this coronavirus thing. Um, it's reflected in uh, it's, it's other commodity markets, um, oil being one. I mean, 10 million, 50 million people aren't driving their cars. You know, they're not going out. They're not working. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's having an impact on, on demand very broadly, and I think it's affecting cotton somewhat. So th- those are the two reasons I would guess that we're kind of now range-bound in the upper 60s for old and new crop futures, although the new crop situation is gonna eventually going to take on its own dynamics as we, uh, as we have the developing picture of, of the new crop you know, situation of sure. the balance sheet, ending stocks, and that thing. Mm-hmm. What do you think the market is looking for right now? I mean, we've, we've, we've ridden this roller coaster for the last year and a half, two years, and, and just when it seems like things might be stabilizing a little bit, we're still still seeing some volatility. Are, are we just Do we just need some sense of structure or, or confidence in this market right now? I'd say yes. What, what that would be, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it'd be nice if, if, you know, we had a scientific technical breakthrough, breakthrough on the medical side saying, okay, here's the coronavirus, here, here's isolated, mm-hmm. we have a vaccine or it's contained or something. Right. Uh, we're not in that situation now. And like I say, the trade thing will only get better if we have concrete evidence mm-hmm. of new, a lot of new sales business by China. And I don't know that we're going to get that. I don't know that they need to purchase a whole lot more from us. I mean, we have pretty good numbers on the books right now. Um, 
with the with the trade estimate sure. for the nineteen twenty marketing year. Okay, well let's let's take a look at, at, at this coming production year. Uh, so far this year, we've had uh, we've had two survey predictions for cotton acreage. The one the cotton grower did uh, came out early January of twelve point one million acres. Uh, more recently, here in the last uh, within the past week. The National Cotton Council released their survey numbers showing 13 million acres. Where do you kind of see cotton acres settling for 2020? Uh, the answer to your question is I, I see them somewhere between 12 and 13, but it's been a really moving target mm -hmm. since uh, since the fall. Um, my prediction has shifted from under 11 to 11 to 12 to 13, just using a, a comparison of corn futures to cotton futures prices and historical trend of the resulting acreage. It's, it's been real good. I, about the time y'all surveyed farmers uh, who said 12, that was about the time that the relative prices were confirming or suggesting that it would be that level. And, and that got higher by the time the council did their survey. Uh, my little approach would have been predicting 13 million. Now I'm, I'm, you know, cotton prices have backed off from the lower, you know, from 72. Now they're back to, you know, 68, 69 mm -hmm. new crops. So you know, using, again, relative price approach, we would, we'd probably come out, uh, I'd be guessing 12 and a half. So that, I'm going to say between 12 and a half and 13 million is probably a, a good number for uh, intentions. And then we'll just have to see if the weather cooperates. I understand sure. there's, there's a lot of snow melt up in the Dakotas, it's going to come floating down the Mississippi Basin. So, you know, those growers in the Delta might have the same problems they had last right. year as far as Yeah, we're already, seeing, we're already seeing flooding in, in southern Mississippi again in some of the same areas that were, that were impacted yeah. last year. Uh, so, yeah, fingers crossed that, that we don't have too many long-term problems with that. Uh, I know you've been, you've been on the road. It's meeting season. Uh, You've been involved in multiple meetings. You've been in the high plains of Texas. Uh, I understand you got all the way to South Georgia and probably everywhere in between. Uh, I'm just curious, what types of questions have you gotten from growers at this meeting, and kind of what's what's on the top of their minds right now? Well, they always, they always want to know the price. Of course. Our price. And I give them a long-winded uh, answer to that, but I do give them a price. I've been projecting uh, – you know, fundamentally futures, new crop futures, I think will probably be trading in the 72, 73 cent range uh, during the typical seasonal uncertainty about, you know, crop size. Mm -hmm. And if, if they get to 72, 73, that means the funds can jack them up another two or three cents for at least brief little spikes right. related to weather, weather, weather market uncertainty. So, you know, I think the opportunity is going to be there for briefly anyway for, for profitable price levels, and and the growers are interested in in that. Um, they're interested in policy questions about whether or not there'll be more MFP money, because that kind of was the salvation uh, right this last year. And I, I don't know the answer to that question, I, other than the third round or tranche or whatever the word is of 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 the last or the, the last crop. Right. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know that there'll be one for the 20. Uh, that's that's not my realm. Um, mostly they've just been uh, politely you know, listening <laughs> to uh, all of the uncertainties I have around Outlook. And uh, and just kind of going, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do what we're going to do anyway. Uh, well, that depends on what part of the country you're in. Mm -hmm. You know, 
there are certain parts of Texas where they plant cotton or they plant cotton, and that's it. But yeah. you, you move up into this expanding area in the northern high plains where they have water and their grain, their recently converted grain producers, they're they're kind of making managerial decisions one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So, and over in the Delta and South Alabama and other places, Georgia, where I was, you know, they they have their alternative, their major alternatives: peanuts, corn, and soybeans, I suppose. So it's uh, and my understanding is all of those crops are kind of competing head to head with with the price levels that they have now. Right. So we'll we'll see. Sounds good. John, as always, this is uh, this is good insight, and I know our listeners appreciate it. And I certainly thank you uh, for taking time to catch us up on, on these current market conditions. Sure. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And now, back to the rest of the Cotton Companion. All right. Well, we want to give a big thank you to John, who was gracious enough to visit with Jim uh, for that interview. Okay, so that's going to just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. We want to thank Phytogen for sponsoring us, and we want to thank Cotton Incorporated for sponsoring us, and we want to thank you, dear listener, sincerely for joining us. If you like what you're hearing, tell your buddies about us. Uh, They can get to our podcast by going to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or they could subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever it is that you're finding your podcast these days. Simply search for the Cotton Companion there. The third way, the best way that they could get to us is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, the Cotton Grower e-news. And you could do that by going to www.cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, make sure you're following us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter and on Facebook. Simply search for Cotton Grower Magazine. We hope that you're enjoying our latest issue. That's still the February issue at this point. Seems like February's been 10 years long. Uh, But you can expect that March issue to hit your mailbox in the next couple of weeks, hopefully accompanied by some sunshine. This podcast is produced by Tyler Hatch, who works at the mothership Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I'm going to be back with you in two weeks on the next episode of The Cotton Companion For now, on behalf of my own cotton companion, Jim Stebman, we wish you and your operation all the best. Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of The Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to phytogen.com.